each of you with us. I invite your attention this morning to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Just indulge me for a few minutes. I won't be real long this morning, but I want to talk a little bit about life is what you make of it. Life is what you make of it. This kind of coincides with the Joseph principle. I didn't actually put it in as part of the series in the Joseph principle, but it does because, you see, Joseph, and I say that because Joseph made the best of his life regardless of the circumstance. That's what made him so significant and so useful in the hands of God was he made the best of life. He did not end up growing to be an angry old man. He let God do what God wanted to do in his life. And how we need to do that, how we need to embrace that concept. So, let's read Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I read in your hearing, Paul writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at least your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. In other words, Paul's saying, I know how it is to do without. I know how it is to have plenty. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And everyone said, Amen. Let's think a moment about the walk of faith in which we are involved in. We sang a chorus some years ago, the church did, that said, Lord, you're worthy of the highest praise. Lord, you're worthy now and for always. Your goodness and mercy causes me to say you're worthy of the highest praise. Amen. Keep that little chorus in your mind there for a moment. As we walk in faith, we must learn to see our present circumstances. I emphasize present circumstances in light of the future promises of God. We sang just moments ago, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. We must look at our present day circumstances in light of that glorious promise. That one day, as Brother David mentioned a little bit earlier, all things will become new. Ha <laughs> ha. Amen. While at the present time, we are works in progress. Everybody said amen. You're work in progress, right? He's still working on me. We have hope knowing that Jesus Christ will complete the work. Remember, Paul said, He that has begun a good work in you will accomplish it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. We can endure suffering now because we know that it is a moment, it is momentary compared to the eternity we will spend in the glorious presence of Jesus Christ. So, with that being said, we can be content in every circumstance now, knowing that we will have all of God's riches in glory. Amen. I would encourage you, walk by faith and set your eyes on Jesus until you see Him face to face. I want to share a little story with you, and it goes like this. It kind of illustrates the point I want to get across to you today, and 
the fact that life is what we make of it. The story goes that once there was an old and very wise man, and every day he and his granddaughter, boy, I can just picture this, but what a treat. He and his granddaughter would sit outside their little gas station in the rocking chair, and you know, back in the day, you'd go by in these little towns, and there'd be this one gas station in this little town, and there'd be two or three people sitting in chairs out in front. And they'd sit there in that chair together, and they would greet tourists as they would pass through their small town. One day, a tall man who surely had to be a tourist began looking around as he was getting his few car fueled up and looking around as if he was checking out the area for perhaps a place to live. And so the gentleman that was fueling up his car asked him, he said, so uh, what kind of town is this? Asking that little girl and her grandpa sitting there in that chair. The tourist said, or or the, the, the grandpa said, well, what kind of town are you from? And the gentleman replied, well, one where everybody is, you know, very critical of each other and they really don't like each other and it's a real negative place to live. Now, old man sitting there in his chair with his granddaughter, he said, well, you know, that's just how this town is as well. Hmm. Later that day, there's grand, grandpa and granddaughter sitting in the chair again and a family passes through and stopped to fuel up their car and the father, he stepped out and he as earlier in the day, he asked the gentleman sitting there in the chair, he said, Hey, he said, is this town a good place to live? And the gentleman asked him, and the grandpa sitting in the rocking chair, said, Well, what about the town you come from? What's it like? The father said, On the town I'm from, everyone is very close and always willing to lend a helping hand. Now, I really hate to leave it, but the job requires us to move. The old man smiled and said, we know that's a lot like this small town that we live in. So grandchildren being grandchildren, as smart as they are, after the family drove away, the granddaughter looks up and grandpa and says, hey, whoa, grandpa, wait a minute. How come when the first man came, you told him this was a terrible place to live? Yet when that family came, you told them it was a wonderful place to live. The old man looked down at his lovely little granddaughter and looked in her wandering blue eyes and said, Here's the thing, sweetie. No matter where you go, you take your attitude with you. And that's what makes it terrible or wonderful. It all boils down to life is what we make of it. Amen. Paul, writing to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6-8, through 8, asserted this. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. Y'all caught that, right? We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. We live in a very discontented society and world today. Nothing makes society happy. For many people, contentment is elusive. Often we humans attempt to find contentment in things, tangible things. Seemingly for many, the more things, the greater the contentment. At least so it seems until they learn all the things didn't change their desire in search of real contentment. Because it is evident 
Contentment cannot be found in the sum of things or possessions. As you recall in our text I read moments ago, Paul declared, I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. So with that being said, let's think about that for a moment. First of all, here's what it means. One, learning to be happy with less. Would you be happy in Jesus Christ if you were to lose it all tomorrow? A hard-charging executive decided to spend a few days in a monastery. The monk that greeted him said to him, I hope your stay is a blessed one as he showed him to his living quarters. And the monk said to him, said, if you need anything, let us know. We'll teach you how to live without it. You see, happiness isn't getting what you want. It's enjoying what God's given you. Amen. Paul said he had learned to be content, whether well-fed or whether hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. Paul said, I know how to be content. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. You see, sometimes we need to remind ourselves, number two, things could be worse. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I don't know how it could get any worse. Well, be careful when you say those kind of things because the Lord, might, you might find out how it can get worse. Snoopy, you, you, you all remember the cartoon Snoopy? Charlie Brown, Snoopy the dog. Snoopy was lying on his doghouse one Thanksgiving day since it's about Thanksgiving time and we're thinking about being thankful for things, for what God has given us. So Snoopy was laying in his doghouse one Thanksgiving day. He was mumbling and complaining about being stuck with the dog food while all the humans were inside with the turkey and the gravy and the ham and the pumpkin pie and feeling sorry for himself. Finally, he reflected and he said, but you know, it could be worse. I could have been born a turkey. Reminding yourself it could be worse can be a powerful developer of contentment. Number three is understanding that what you seek is spiritual, not material. What we seek is spiritual, not material. Paul says, beware of greed, which is idolatry, in one of his writings. You see, our problem isn't just that we want more. It's that the condition which underlies all our wanting is that we really want God. Designed in our DNA is a hunger and a desire for God. And millions and millions of people have attempted to fill that desire with everything in the world but God. And it will never be satisfied until we know Him. As Augustine said, our souls will never rest until they rest in Thee. So the question I would impose to you at this juncture is, why then would God let us feel at home in this world when this world is really not our home? We're just passing through. The possible answer could be our, dis our dissatisfaction because if we let it, 
It can sharpen our spiritual hunger and cause us to pray as Jesus told us to pray in Matthew 6 and verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't want us to get too satisfied here. We get our tent stakes driven too deep. We don't want to go. A gentleman by the name of Michael Drosnan, Drosnan rather, wrote a book about a man who wanted more wealth. I remember this man because I was in my teens back about the time he really hit, hit popularity and there was a lot of talk and a lot of media conversation about this man. But he wrote the book about this man who wanted more wealth. So this man built one of the biggest financial empires of his time. He wanted more pleasure, so he paid for the most glamorous women money could buy. He wanted more adventure, so he set airspeed records, built and piloted the world's most unique aircraft. I've seen that one aircraft he built and piloted. That was something. He wanted more power, so he acquired political clout that was the envy of senators and major government officials. He wanted more glamour, so he owned film studios and courted stars. In Drosnan's book, he tells how this man's life ended. A man who had so much and ended up with nothing. He says this in his book. He was a figure of Gothic power ready for the grave. Emaciated, only 120 pounds stretched over his 6 foot 4 inch frame. Thin, scraggly beard that reached its way onto his sunken chest. Hideously long fingernails and grotesque yellow corkscrews. Many of his teeth were black, rotting stumps. A tumor was beginning to emerge from the side of his head. Innumerable needle marks. And the gentleman I'm talking about is none other than Howard Hughes was addicted. A billionaire junkie. And he died and left this world with nothing. So here's the question. If Hughes had pulled off one more deal or made one more million and tasted one more thrill, would it have been enough? No. The illusion of gratitude is that we will experience it if we get more. And that's not the case. No, making sure a child gets everything they want for the most part destroys their initiative and dulls their sense of gratitude and contentment. Look what's going on in our youth of today. They've been had it handed to them in a silver platter, and they're not happy. Why do you think there's all of this anarchy in these universities? Don't you find it interesting that the man who wrote, I have learned the secret of being content, also wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18, In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I know there's things that we encounter that it's hard to give thanks for. Right? But Paul said, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We cannot make ourselves a more grateful or contented person. Don't think that you can just somehow get the mechanics toolbox out and reconstruct yourself to be a more grateful or contented person. But we can pray for it, and we can open our heart to the power of the Holy Spirit that will do that for us. Amen? So using the Bible, let's define gratitude. Since Thanksgiving time, and we're going to be thanking the Lord for all of the bounty and all the good things. Here's how the Bible defines gratitude. 
In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen? In order to have a grateful heart, we must learn to be grateful for flawed people and in perfect gifts. Well, we want everybody to be perfect, don't we? We, we must learn to be grateful for flawed people and imperfect gifts. Be grateful when your child attempts to make the bed even though they make it imperfectly. Be grateful when your spouse expresses affection even if they do it in, awkwardly. Be grateful that your body still moves around. Some mornings I have to remind myself, yeah, you've got to move, come on. Even if it's more wrinkled and lumpy than it was some years ago. Don't wait to feel thankful. The thinking and the doing leads to the feeling. Give thanks in all circumstances. Calls for a decision and an act of our will. Not an emotional response. It's why Americans call this annual holiday we're about to observe Thanksgiving, not thanks feeling. James Dobson wrote a moving book called Final Rounds. I mean, if you had a chance to read it or not, it's pretty good stuff. And he talks in there about the last three months of his father's life. And he and his dad were very close. In fact, they were both avid golfers, and they spent a lot of leisure time together golfing. And when James Dobson's father had been diagnosed with terminal cancer, and James took him to Scotland so that he could play they could, they could play golf together at some of the world's most celebrated courses. What a treat. At one point, James's dad asked him about his marriage and his family. A father being concerned about the relationship he had with his wife and children. And James says, he says, my answer was evas- evasive. He said, I really didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to get into a lengthy discussion with dad about those types of things. So he said it was very evasive because he said, I was so consumed by my work that there was little time left over for anything else. And these were the words of a dying father to his son. He said to him, and I quote, I wish I could slow you both down. The danger of great ambition is that you work so hard, you may someday wake up and find that the things you really wanted were the things that you had all along. Paul writes, Ephesians 5 and 14, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Every once in a while we do wake up, and when we do, we wake up to his gratitude for the things that we have oftentimes taken for granted. We oftentimes let the weight of the situations and circumstances around us steal us of the joy of gratitude and being able to thank the Lord Jesus for all of His goodness. I want you to understand as I close this morning that you are significant in the mind of God. Sometimes we forget that. We are significant in the mind of God. We are His blood-bought children. We were not purchased with gold and silver and things that perish, but we were purchased by the precious blood of the Lamb. Paul, or the, the apostle declared in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, 
Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It doesn't get any better than that. I don't care where you live. I don't care how much money you have in CDs. I don't care how large your bank account is. It doesn't get any better than the fact that he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Amen? I've talked about Joni Erickson before, and I'm going to talk about Joni Erickson again for just a moment. She writes in one of her books about a young lady said, in her quiet sanctuary, Diane turns her head slightly on the pillow and toward the corkboard on the wall. Her eyes scan each photo. Every torn piece of paper carefully pinned in a row, she's praying. She can get, just get those prayer requests pinned on that corkboard and she can look at them and she's praying. The creeping limitations of multiple sclerosis encroached further each year. Her fingers are curled and rigid and her voice is barely a whisper at this point and as she deteriorates. And people might look at her and say, Joni writes, what a shame. Her life has no meaning. However, this young lady by the name of Diane who is suffering from this dreadful disease and withering away is convinced that her life is significant. That her labor of prayer does really count. She can't get up. She can barely turn her head just enough to read the prayer lists that are on the cork board. Her fingers and hands are to the point, and I've gone and prayed with folks with multiple sclerosis, and it's a sight that will be etched in your mind forever. Her voice barely in a whisper what words she can put together. And she counts. She's convinced that her life is significant. That her labor of prayer really does count. Because listen, although she can't move from that bed, she moves mountains that block the paths of missionaries. She helps open the eyes of the spiritually blind in Southeast Asia. Pushes back the kingdom of darkness that blackens the alleys and the gangs of East L.A. Diane is on the front lines advancing the kingdom of God, although she can't get out of the bed. This woman sees her place in the world. It doesn't matter that ours may be not that it doesn't matter that others may not recognize her significance. In fact, she's not unlike the girl named Emily who signs her address as Grover's Corner, New Hampshire. United States of America, Western Hemisphere. Planet Earth, solar system, the universe, mind of God. As long as we're significant in the mind of God, nothing else really matters. My friends, in the mind of God, that's about as significant as you can get. Someone has said, being, B-I-N-G, counts more 
than doing. The singer more than the song. We had better stop looking for escape hatches, for this is our hatchery. End of quote. And I am afraid that so many in the church today have been looking for their escape hatch instead of working in the hatchery. What is God trying to design and build in you and I? I refer once again to my friend and faithful pal Joseph, who within the course of a life, I suppose if any man had the right to be bitter and angry, Joseph would have been that man. But in that hatchery, he did not look for an escape hatch. The only request he ever made for the two long years that he was in prison was that the cupbearer would remember him. But he continued right on doing his work for God. And in that hatchery, instead of looking for a way out, God was creating in him the heart of a man who would lead not only lead one nation to victory, but he would lead two nations and many others to victory through God's working in him. So could I encourage you today, if you find yourself looking for an escape hatch, and we do, we're human, stop for a moment and let God whisper in your ear, you're significant to me, and you're a work in progress, and we'll get there eventually. Amen? It is my prayer that as we go into this season where we give thanks for all of God's blessing and His provision, that you will discover the significance that has been yours all along as a child of the King. You may not be able to know the full meaning of the event that you're involved in or that you're going through. But you can know this, that every event is meaningful. There have been events in my wife and I's lives that took years for us to come to the realization of what God was doing way back then. We may not know at this time what the meaning of the event is, but we know that every event is meaningful. And that you are significant. Life is what we make of it. We can either lay it all in the arms of Jesus Christ and know that He has everything in control. He knows. The Lord said, I know the thought I have for you because you are significant. And that, my friends, is what it means to have a life, to know that life is what you make of it. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Oh, but how can I thank Him for that mess I'm in? How can I thank Him for all the 
in everything. Give thanks. Would you stand? Brother David.